What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen, and I spent the last hour watching Andy McFarland's presentation at Flip Hacking Live in 2018, October 2018. He presented for about an hour on seller financing, and he talked about how we always just go in using the cash hammer, and he showed all the different strategies in a session like that on how you can use seller financing to buy more houses, wholesale more deals, flip more houses, hold more rentals, all of those different tips and techniques that he uses. And they do a lot of deals that have some aspect of seller financing involved. So on today's podcast, what I want to do is I want to bring you back in time to that presentation from Flip Hacking Live 2018. And one of the reasons why I wanted to, sh to show this to you, to have you listen to it is I'm going to pull a quote from it. And he said, a shift will come eventually. And these tools work even better in a buyer's market than they do in a seller's market. And when I heard that, I was like, he is absolutely right. I freshen up on this information. I, I, I look at the seller financing stuff all the time, but what we have coming up is going to be a great time to freshen up on seller financing. So if you were at Flip Hacking Live 2018, you need to listen to this to get a refresher. If you weren't there, you absolutely need to hear this stuff because Andy is the godfather of seller financing techniques, whether it's wholesaling, flipping, holding rentals, anything, sub twos. It's amazing to hear all the stuff that he's talking about. So without further ado, we're gonna roll the theme music and jump in and don't miss what I talk about at the end of this presentation, the end of this podcast, because I've got an exciting update and uh, a, a bonus for you for Flip Hacking Live tickets. So stay tuned and uh, here's Andy McFarland. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. You guys, you guys remember what Bill said the first day? He stood up here, set the frame for all of you, said, the louder you guys get, the more they're going to give. Yeah. All right. So I heard it. In my mind, I have not heard anybody louder, even though there were some people that should have gotten louder applause than me that came here today because it was great. But I heard it. I heard it. So I hope I can bring it for you guys. But before I do that, I want to have a favor. I had this like little thing in my mind, that I kind of a little fantasy in my mind. If you go to help me, I'll help you maybe you guys. It's 4 o'clock, 4.15, something like that. It's been a long day. It's been an awesome day, but it's been a long day, but we still have some time left to go. So do me a favor and do you a favor. Here's what, here's what I would love to do. I would I've never initiated the wave. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? So what I want to do, I was going to like run, I was thinking I was going to get down there and like run. Maybe I will run down here. The guys that are like the camera, but like start it here and then just kind of run down here, then I'll be out of breath. Let's do it anyway. I just want to do it because I got the mic and I can. Ready? Let's go back too. Ready? That was for both of us, where it's a win-win, right? Everybody's feeling awake. Cool. Now I'm out of breath. That's what I was worried about. Okay. I'll catch it back, though. We'll keep going. Um, God, this event's been amazing, right? I knew it was going to be. 
because I put this slide in. Jason is my witness. It's been a month now. Now it's been weeks. But it was here before we came. And uh, the, the, this event would not be possible without the superheroes that brought you all here. Bill Allen, right? And this one we haven't heard much about in this room. We talked earlier this week. Vanessa, superhero. And of course, we can't forget Mr. and Mrs. Incredible. Right? And last, but certainly not least, that's you, Kyle. He got a shout out from Russell from the stage. He got a shout out from Russell from the stage. Cool. So thank you guys for putting that on. Thank you guys for coming. But thank you guys for superheroes. Um, who here likes MacGyver? Right? Why do we like MacGyver? I know you can't answer me, so I'm answer. I like MacGyver because he was always helping people. But not only that, he was always helping people, but then he, he used his mind to kind of help people get out of situations, right? His mind was the ultimate weapon. So that's why I love MacGyver, always helping people, and he used his mind to help people get out of situations. I remember one MacGyver, I, I haven't seen MacGyver in probably 20 some odd years, but for some reason this is burned in my brain, so I'm like, I gotta put this slide in here. The scene of MacGyver playing pool with some like wayward teen. Remember this? He's just having a, you probably don't remember, but he's having a conversation with him in the pool hall. The wayward teen's got these problems. He's talking to MacGyver about it. And MacGyver's like, you know, taking, soaking those things in, trying to give him life advice, and this guy's just struggling. This teen's struggling. And they're playing this pool game all the while they're talking. And then it's MacGyver's shot, and he's behind a rough pool shot, right? Those of you that play pool, it's just a tough shot. And the teen looks at him and goes, what are you going to do now? MacGyver shoots some crazy, amazing trick shot, wins the game, eight ball or whatever goes in the pocket. He looks at the kid and goes, you got to learn to look at all the angles. And there was this perfect crescendo of like the pool game comes with life, right? Got to learn to look at all the angles. As real estate investors, we are guilty of looking at one angle. It's called the cash hammer. 70% of ARV minus repairs. Sometimes it's 82% of ARV minus repairs, whatever it is, right? The cash hammer, that's how we do business. And when you look at things from the cash hammer perspective, that's our tool. Every problem's a nail, right? I hope to convince you guys today, be more like MacGyver. Let's get a Swiss Army knife here, right? He had multiple different tools that he was famous for, right? Swiss Army knife was what comes to my mind. But some of you guys might think of some of these other tools, right? Paper clips, right? So why does this matter to you? I hope that uh, hoping we leave today to give you some of these tools and encourage you to be like MacGyver, real estate MacGyvers. Always be helping people, but increasing your tools so that you can, again, use those to help other people. Um, and why does this matter to you guys? Is this market, is this a seller's market? I mean, it's been a seller's market for a while, right? We're in this bull run. In a seller's market, it seems like it's hard to do deals, right? So people wouldn't do a terms deal in a seller's market, would they? I can tell you guys, these tools we're gonna talk about, they work in a seller's market, and I'll prove it to you, but they work even better in a buyer's market. So anybody's worried about some sort of market shift coming and a shift will come eventually, these tools, you should care because they work even better in a buyer's market, okay? So question, what do you guys think? What percentage of my deals in the last 12 months running in for some form of seller financing? Any guesses? Five, 10, Five, 10 20. 23%, I counted them up, last 12 months, 23% includes some form of seller finance in a seller's market, right? So today, I wanna to talk to you guys about 
these things. So first, the number one key, and I did this just so you, some of you guys that are tired and if the wave didn't wake you up, you can just go to your room, take a nap, it'll be another however long, 45 minutes. Um, but yeah, I'm talking about the first key to seller finance, the second key um, to seller finance, then some seller financing for flips, for longer term seller, some longer term seller finance, and then seller finance when there's no underlying mortgage. And I'm gonna include some paperwork for those of you that are like, it seems complicated, I don't know how to do it. I'm gonna include some paperwork so you guys can see it, okay? Fair enough, you guys excited for this? You good with this? Okay, all right, so the number one key to unlock seller finance deals, this is extremely important, it's belief. You've gotta believe that one, you can do it, and two, that it's, it can be a better deal for the seller. You gotta believe, because if you don't believe, we're stopped right there at the door, it doesn't matter. Nothing else matters if you don't believe that it actually can be a good deal. Because here's the thing, you can't effectively sell what you don't believe, right? But when you believe, your, your mind finds a way to do. So the belief is extremely important. Please don't overlook that, I put it there for the first key for a reason. That is extremely important, we have to have a belief. The second key to unlock seller finance deals is trust. You have to have trust to do seller financing deals. Terms deals require an enormous amount of trust. So you're gonna have to earn that trust with your sellers. Now, you guys might be thinking to yourself, great, how do I earn that trust, right? I'm gonna tell you guys, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Like, we overlook that a lot, right? Right, yeah, 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 I get it, I gotta be, somebody's gotta trust me, but can we get there pretty quick? Microwave trust? There's no microwave trust. You've gotta earn it, you've gotta believe, go in with your belief, and then you've gotta earn that trust. But it can't be fake, it can't be fake. So, here's how we earn that trust, in my opinion. You show that you care by active listening. Not just in work environments, you guys have all experienced this, people that you know care about you, how do you know they care if you stop and think and analyze it, if you don't already know? It's because they took the time to listen to you and value you and pay attention just to you. That's how you knew they truly cared. You can't fake that. We all feel it intuitively as human beings, right? We've all felt this before. And here's the thing too about active listening. Listening is not waiting to talk. Sometimes we confuse that. Well, I was listening, sitting there, I was silent, you know, I didn't say anything, no words came out of my mouth. But were we listening or were we waiting to talk? Hopefully one of these is Russell's bottle. So I'm gonna, if he's got some of that stuff bottled up from earlier, I want it right here. Pretty good stick, right? Cool, you guys with me? Extremely important before we get into the details of it. Okay. Um, somebody asked me yesterday at the round table, like, well, how do you do that? How do you get into trust? Okay. Start conversation. You wanna listen to somebody, but sometimes you get to the front door and you're like, okay, now what? What do I say? If you don't know what to say to start a conversation, please remember this acronym FORD, F-O-R-D. Start the conversation. F stands for family. Talk about their family. If they don't want to talk about their family, or even if you just go through these, if they don't want to talk about their family, shift to O, right? You're asking them questions and they kind of don't want to answer too much. Go to O. O is occupation. Maybe they want to talk about what they do for work. If you kind of get a dead end with occupation, then you can go to recreation. What do they do for fun? Ask them about that. And then finally, you can ask them about their dreams, their aspirations. What do they want to do? And here's the thing. When you're asking them those things, you're not waiting to talk, you're truly listening, right, with your active listening, and what you're listening for is clues. And if you're truly listening for clues, you're gonna ask clarifying questions, because that really shows that you care. 
you're talking to somebody about anything and they answer with something, if you ask a follow-up question, they know you truly care about that and it's twofold. You're building rapport with them. Meanwhile, you're learning more and you're, you're digging deeper about what it is that they're sharing, right? It's just, it's a twofer that's the best in the world. And you can't fake this. Please don't ever try to fake this, right? So I wanna ask you guys too, I wanna challenge you guys too, like MacGyver, to ask yourselves within your, your, your circles of influence, bring out there being real estate investors, to ask yourself this question every day. Start, start your day with this and hopefully end your day with this. Have I done any good in the world today? There's a lot of good in the world. Be that good. Ask yourself, to, to tell yourself, today I'm going to go out there and be that good. I'm going to be like MacGyver. I'm going to go help people. Have I done any good in the world today, right? And let me tell you guys this too. Even if you don't get a deal, what's the most valuable resource any of us have? Time. You guys have been so gracious to give that to us this weekend. You took your time. You spent your money, but there's a lot of money in the world, but you spent your time. We appreciate that. So when you give that time to a seller to actively listen, you're serving them. That's doing good in my opinion, right? And at the very least, it gives somebody psychological air. It allows them to vent and share. I mean, that's why counselors get paid so much money, isn't it? They're just only there to listen. Isn't it a shame we have to go pay hundreds of dollars to have somebody listen to us? It shouldn't be that way. So I wanna challenge you guys, when you're going to see the sellers, you can be that person. You can serve them just by giving them psychological air. So do that. To reemphasize, please use these tools to bless other people's lives. They'll actually work if you do, and if they don't, if you're manipulative, they might work in the short run, but they'll never work in the long run. So now that we've got that out of the way, whew, um, I wanna share with you guys some broad seller finance categories. We've only got a short amount of time here, so I've gotta con condense them and talk about, they have to be broad, but by no means, this is not, and within each one of these categories, there's so many different types of seller financing. Options, like options are just limited by your imagination, okay? But these broad categories are intent to open your mind. So those of you that have not done any seller financing deals, I hope this opens your mind so it's possible so your belief when you leave here is like, Andy did that, he told me about those certain types, certainly somebody's done it, he's done it, I could do it too. So if you leave here with nothing more than belief and a little bit of like, man, I wanna watch that video again because Andy talked about those things, seller financing, I'm not quite sure what that is, I wanna watch it again, right? Then that's, that's good enough for me, right? And by the way, when you sign up these seller financing deals, you can wholesale these deals too, because we do. You can wholesale it, okay? Yeah, you see them all the time. And it's, it's a value add to them, okay? All right, let's talk about short-term seller financing for flips. I think sometimes we get stuck in our mind thinking seller financing has to be this long-term thing. It doesn't. Seller financing can be, you can do that for flips too. So it hinges on two different things. One, interest savings, and two, the capital requirements, right? Fewer capital requirements. So here's what I mean, interest savings. Sellers don't, they don't value money like we value it. Everybody in this room, they understand what points and interest is. I can ask any one of you guys and know roughly what investors get, right? Sellers don't know that. They don't understand that. They don't value money like we do. A lot of people don't understand the time value of money, right? And that's okay. So get out of your own paradigm thinking like, they all think like I do because they don't. Spend time actively listening and ask them, see what they know, see where their experience level is and recognize they think of interest savings different than you, right? They think of interest different than you. The second thing, fewer capital requirements. If you've got a stack of a million dollars you can buy properties with, you can only buy a million dollars worth of property, right? Sometimes we think that in our finite minds, we're like, okay, this is it, this is all I've got. Once I've done this exhausted, I can't buy any more properties. But if we think of the seller financing, that's their cap, that's a capital stack that's in addition to that, right? At low interest rates oftentimes. And we'll use an example of that, right? So when you think about, when you're thinking about seller financing for flips, you run your math, but could you adjust your price if you didn't have to pay points or as high of an interest rate? Because you guys calculate holding costs into your, your equation, don't you? Okay, think about that. Could you adjust your price if that's right? 
Uh, if you didn't have to take from your available capital to purchase property, because sometimes you're like, well, I only have this amount, so I gotta choose this one or this one, right? If you didn't have to, would you do the deal? Could you adjust your price? And then if you didn't have to make monthly payments, which is a killer for a lot of flippers, right? They don't wanna make that monthly payment. So with seller financing, a lot of times you don't have to make um, monthly payments. So take the time to ask them all the Ford questions, actively listen. But here's a very important question that you can work into the rapport building and asking. Ask the seller what they're gonna do with the money. Don't assume, we assume too often. Ask, listen, ask clarifying questions. Ask them what they're gonna do with the money. So let me tell you guys a quick story about this beautiful house. A guy named Larry owns this house, and his wife's name was Bert. And I went to the house, Larry was, or Larry was there, Bert was not there. I remember showing up to the house, there was snow in the driveway, walked in, I knew very quickly from talking to him that his wife was not gonna be there, so I thought, okay, I gotta get his wife here. But we walked around the house a little bit, and that day there was a guy putting in an HVAC. And I could tell, it was a good conversation, I'm going through the four questions, asking him, active listening and things. And uh, I could tell that he was really bugged, like, not bugged, but he was just like anxious about this HVAC install that was going on while we were there. He was just frustrated, he was just like, ugh, this house was a, a, a vacant rental that he owned free and clear, that people had moved out, so now it's a hassle on him, right? So he's having a hassle with that. And he's having to deal with the HVAC people. So I noted that in the back of my mind during this, and then I'm building some rapport with him, but ultimately I knew I had to get him from there to go back to his house where his wife was. Why? Anybody? While I pause, take a drink. Both decision makers, right? I know I need to build rapport with her as well as him. So I do that. Uh, I convince him that we need to go back and talk to, talk to Bert as well. So we go there, so I remember, after gathering some intel, I go there and sit there in the kitchen table with, with Larry and Bert. I was talking to them, they own the house free and clear. I can understand like all the different things they were looking for out of it. They were, um, it was just stressing them out. It was this, this HVAC install was really stressing out Larry. So finally I got down to the point where we're talking about money. I went through my thing, which I won't go to that now, but um, I asked them what they're gonna do with the money. And they didn't have a great answer for that. So because they didn't, we kind of came to a little bit of an offer price. And then I said, look, what if I could pay you a little bit more if you guys just waited to get all your money for like, I don't know, six months? Because I explained to them what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna buy your house and then I'm gonna fix it up and I'm gonna sell it to some end user in six months. And they understood that and they said, well, why would you pay me more money? Skeptical, right? Well, I'm gonna pay you more money because then I can save up some of my costs. I don't have to use my money and my money costs more money. So if I just use your money, so I'll give you a little bit now. And we agreed on price was 5,000 down. And I said, the rest of it I'll give you in six months. And they were okay with that. So I asked them, they were okay with that, right? So what ended up working out with them was $5,000 down. Well, actually, HVAC story tied in. So I ended up working out about $100,000, a little less than 99,000 something. 5,000 down and the balance, no interest, no payments due in six months. No interest, no payments, right? They're just hanging on to that money until I sell this thing in six months. But one of the pain points that kind of tipped him over the edge, and I knew it was a pain for them because I listened, that HVAC was bugging him so much. He had to make a decision, am I gonna put a, a coil on it? Which way am I gonna face it? He just didn't want to deal with any of that stuff. So I told him, I said, Larry, we work this deal out here today. I know it's bugging you. That HVAC guy can call me from now on. I'll make those decisions. And by the way, I'll give him my credit card today so you don't have to pay for that. For him, I just saw the relief drop on him. He just didn't want to have to deal with that stress in his life. So he was, he was sold then. And his wife, some other things, but she ended up being sold, right? Does that seem complicated to anybody, how I did that? I hope that you just open your mind, like, that's possible. You can do that, right? Okay. So this seems complicated, Andy. How do I write up the contract for that, okay? This is the real contract. I recognize you can't read it, but I thought just for the purposes here, it's a one-page contract, and it says right there in the top, the price, it just says C addendum. This is the actual contract that I used. I hand wrote it. The horrible handwriting, right? And this is the addendum. And you can't read that either, right? So I'll give you some examples of it. It just basically says, 
that they're going to get 5000 from the sale, and the balance will be paid in six months. That's it. Not that complicated, right? You negotiate it there with them. You figure out what works for them. You talk about it. If you've got an agreement, then you can just put it right in just like that. Just a little addendum like that, right? People ask me this question too. Okay, Andy, you didn't give him all of his money up front, so who owns the property though, right? So here's the HUD from that closing. I own the property. Title transferred to me. I am the owner. He became the bank at that point. See that little line right there that says seller finance? That's it. That's what he took. Seller financing. And what he got was, he gave me the title, and what I gave him was a note. This is the note. And that's exactly it. It's a one-page thing. And I didn't even draw that up. The title company did it, per the instructions that I handwrote on my chicken scratch. Right? That's it. That whole transaction, you guys just saw all the paperwork for that right there. How I negotiated it, how I wrote it up. I think sometimes we overcomplicate this in our mind. That this has to be more complicated than that. But that's it. So they owned it free and clear. I bought it from them on terms, no interest, no payments, for six months, and I flipped it. I bought it $5,000 down. I think I put $30,000 into it. I probably made $30,000, $35,000 on the flip, right? So $35,000 of capital, made $35,000. Pretty good returns, right? But I also didn't have to dip into my pocket that extra $92,000 because they held that for me. They were happy. I was happy to accomplish our goals because I didn't assume that they needed their money today like we all assume sometimes, right? So don't assume, ask. All right, Andy, hang on, though. What if they, what if they don't own it free and clear? That's fine and dandy if they don't own it free and clear. Yeah, what if they got a mortgage? I was thinking a conversation going on in your head, but I'm up here, right? Okay, here's what you do. In that addendum, write up something like this. You guys can take a picture of that if you want to write that up. Or you can make up what you want, right? But just write something like that. Bottom, it says, seller agrees to leave existing financing in place for X number of months. And the buyer will be responsible for existing financing. Just write that up, and you're going to go to closing just like we did with the other one. And the HUD's going to look like this. Existing loans taken subject to. This was a house we did a couple of weeks ago. It was a $350,000 house. That's tough. I mean, that's a lot of interest payments on that if you're paying 12% or 1 in 12 or something like that, right? But it took it sub to 350. 20,000 needed to be paid because there's liens and things like that. The 330,000, it's at like 4% paying that. We're flipping it. Going to put about 12 to 20,000, something like that in there. Carpet and paint job. I normally wouldn't do that. I mean, to sell in like the, the low to mid fours to buy for 350, not interested in that, right? But under this, it's going to take me $20,000 down and 15 or 20,000 to flip it. So for 40 grand, I can turn around and make 30, 40 grand. And it's in a great area, so I'll do that. Does that make sense? How you can do it if they, if they don't own it free and clear? I hope this opens your eyes to like, it's not really that difficult. You just need to ask. You need to ask for it. So during your discovery, you're finding out, do they have a loan? Do they not have a loan? And you're gonna ask, and you're gonna do that. So, now you guys know, that's short-term seller financing for flips, okay? <laughs> Jason built this slide. There's this old commercial about the Hair Club for Men. Do you guys remember this? The guy would go on there, he's like, and I'm not just a Hair Club for Men president, I'm also a member. All right, he's got his hair there. So I told that to Jason joking, so he put that on there. But, um, so we currently accounted right now, we've got about seven flips, about a million dollars of stuff like that. Seller's money that they're holding or allowing us to use for while we're doing flips. So we currently are doing this right now. And I'm a wholesaler, but that's just of our current flip inventory right now. Okay. Longer term seller financing with an underlying mortgage. Okay. So the overall goal here is, all right, great, Andy. I don't want to keep it short term for a flip. I'm looking for holding something long term. So here's the goal. You want to borrow for as long as possible without your credit and as little money down as possible, okay? And for this strategy, make sure you're telling the sellers that you're gonna be servicing their loan. You're not assuming anything. Loans are not assumable anymore. Well, some of them are VA loans, but most loans are not assumable, right? So you're servicing their loan. So here's the question you wanna know before you jump into doing that. How good is their loan? So here's the general rule. Take the gross rents in the area, look into what the gross rents are, take 40% off of that, and then your payment Principal and or interest payment needs to be less than that. Does that make sense? Well, Andy, why 40%? Taxes, insurance, 
utilities, capital expenses, capital expenditures, right? We don't think about it often. We think, well, mine's cash flow more than that. We'll think about it. Roofs wear out, furnaces wear out, right? So we need to take, take that into account, right? Especially if you're holding this for the long term, so take it into account. 40% is pretty good. Sometimes people use 50%, but 40% can be a good benchmark, okay? That's gonna determine whether you've got a alligator or a cow, right? If you break that rule, you might be doing it at your own peril. Don't get the alligators, get the cows if you're gonna keep it for long term, okay? I'll show you some uh, when you can break those rules and when you can't, right? So you guys wanna see an example of that? Okay, cool. So here's this. That addendum I showed you guys before for the flip, same thing, just add, change the thing. Instead of saying for X number of months, just say for the life of the loan. Bingo. All right, Andy, this one's gotta be more complicated for the paperwork closing. I'm holding it long term. All right, you got me. It is a little bit more complicated, okay? So what you use at the closing? What would MacGyver use? Paperclip? No. So here's one. Here's one. Um, and you don't have to use this exact wording or whatever, but here's one that I've used in the past. This is basically letting the sellers know, hey, I'm not assuming your loan, but I will, I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not agreeing to do anything, really, right? You just got, this is kind of like the covering yourself letter. Um, and your loan does have a due on sale clause, which means the lender's got the, the option, but not the obligation to call it due. And you, I've, you've been made aware of that, okay? So I'll get them to sign that at closing, right? Um, this, I might get them to sign a limited power of attorney. You're gonna own this for the long term. And the only way, the only reason I've ever used one of these limited power attorneys is because you service that loan for a long time and then some of them that I've sold and paid off. You know when you pay your, your principal interest tax insurance when all the escrows are built into the payment? When you sell a house, what happens? You get the money back, you get the escrow check back. That escrow check is gonna be in the seller's name. The only reason I've used this, and you, it says there's other things, you know, for mortgage payments, insurance, closing, all that stuff. But uh, the only time I've ever really used it is just to cash that check. If you have this and you have the check, you get it down there and you, they'll deposit it in your bank account in my experience, so I would get one of those. You also could get an authorization to release information. So this just allows you, I mean the power of attorney is stronger than that obviously because it's notarized and everything by the seller. An authorization is just a softer way. I mean this, I think sometimes, for me I, I get that just in case the, the lender, you don't want the lender to be tipped off like what's this power of attorney, but an authorization they're used to using that, right? They're used to seeing those, okay? Um, oh, here's the other thing, at closing, you're like all right Andy, well the, the, the paperwork's still coming to the sellers, right? Their payment stub, you need to get that every month. Very simply, at closing, say, Mr. Seller, would you mind calling up your, your lender? 1-800 number, perfect, right there. Hello, you verify themselves, and they say, yes, I'm changing my notice address from 123 Easy Street to, what's your P.O. Box? Uh, P.O. Box 1234, perfect. Now you're getting those statements every month, right? Here's another question people have. All right, what do I do about insurance on this property? I get a lot of calls from people like this. It's paid in the, the principal interest tax on insurance, right? It's paid, the sellers have some insurance there. But now that you bought it subject to, what I do is just get an additional insurance policy. You should just obtain your own insurance. The one that's being paid in escrow is gonna be in the seller's name, it's gonna be of no use to you. Title is transferred, they no longer have insurable interest, so that will never be paid out. I see it as a sunk cost. If you're buying these long-term seller financing, build that into your costing to buy your own insurance. So that's the answer to that one, buy your own insurance. Now, there are exceptions. Here are the exceptions. Remember I told you the 40% rule? There are exceptions to that. Here's the exceptions. If you feel like the property will appreciate significantly soon, if you're a speculator and you're like, yeah, but I can beat the market, do it at your own peril, you can do that, right? So that, that's an exception. Second one, if you plan on living there, if you're gonna live in the house, you can do whatever you want, doesn't need a cash flow, right? Just make sure you can make the payment. Third thing, if you've got some highly leveraged properties in your portfolio, you're just trying to, like, you're trying to lose money. You wanna depreciate this stuff, you're trying to lose money, and maybe you're trying to speculate as well. By all means, please do this. 
Or the fourth is, if you plan on wholesaling this to somebody that meets the above criteria. Because don't assume, again, people have all your right criteria. If you, if you sign it up, there are probably people out there that might want to live there, might want to do something else. Make sense? Cool. All right. This one. Longer term seller finance when the seller has no debt. This one is kind of like mind expanding for people sometimes. We talked about the round table last night. Looking at the house, we all, we're so guilty of the cash hammer, but we're also always guilty of looking at the house as a deal and not so much the money as a deal. So I asked a question last night on the round table. What if a guy's got a house that's worth 200 grand, you know it, ARV $200,000. Needs a little bit of work and he's stubborn and he wants 200,000 for it. Is that a deal? I know most of your minds probably immediately went to, oh, yeah. no, that's not a deal. I'm gonna challenge you on that, right? Challenge your belief, right? Change your mindset on this. It could be a deal. It might, maybe. Is there any instance where you'd pay $200,000 for that? Maybe. If he owns it free and clear, maybe you would pay $200,000 for that, right? Because you could structure some sort of a terms on it. And sometimes borrowing that money, that $200,000 for long term, might be worth paying more for the house than you normally would. Make sense? So I'm gonna tell you a story about John. This here is John. And that's his real name, actually, right? Conveniently, right? So most people change the name to John. So John, I met him, kind of a typical situation. Trashed house, he was a landlord. Uh, I think his son moved in last, so you know that story. The son's not paying him any rent. Trashes the house, leaves him. And he's an older guy, retired on Social Security. Doesn't want to deal with the headaches. He's not been a great property manager, but he's owned this house, because this was the house he owned with his wife, his first wife, like 40 years ago. He bought it for like 10,000 bucks. Then he moved out, you know, his first wife died, and all this stuff happened. And then he's had this as a rental for like 30 years, okay? Bought it for 10 grand. And he's got this trashed house in his hands, and he's just like, he doesn't really know what to do with it. So I came and talked to him, and he had people offering him just a bunch of cash prices, right? In fact, he had a guy, he had a guy offer him $100,000 cash for the house, okay? And then I came along, I came into his world with this belief, and I came in there, just cared about him, I listened to him, and we spent hours, because it takes a long time to, to get in there and understand what's going on with him, right? So he was able to open up to me after hours and a few different visits, honestly, it took a few different visits. But I ended up working out with him. I, I recognized that since he had owed 10,000 on it, and if he was gonna sell it, even for 100,000, if he was gonna sell it for $100,000 cash, that difference is gonna be what to him? Taxable, right? Now, it might not be a big deal to you or me, right? But to a guy that's in fixed income social security who doesn't like paying taxes because you know, this older generation, I mean, none of us really love to pay taxes. The older generation, they're very resistant to paying taxes, right? So he was one of those. So I said, I just kind of mentioned to him, I'm, I'm not smarter than these people, but I said, you know, what's that going to look like if you sold it for $100,000 cash? And he said, well, I only find out from my accountant. And he ended up finding out from his accountant. It was going to cost him $20,000 off the top. So imagine, I pay him the $100,000 cash, or there was a competitor offering $100,000. If I dumped all the cash out there on the table, the government's going to take $20,000 before he gets to take the rest and deposit in his bank account. That's a pretty big hit. You know what makes that hit worse? He's on fixed income Social Security. Social Security, you put the money in, right? We all put the money in. Then the government does whatever they're going to do with it, right? Unfunded liabilities. Not a conversation for today. But <laughs> we put all the money in. It's our money. And then they're going to dole it back out to us for as long as we're living, right? Well, we pay taxes on that, and then the money goes in. So now it's untaxed when it comes out, right? Right. As long as you don't make too much money. So his situation was, if he had sold that house for $100,000, he was gonna take that $90,000 gain, go on top of his Social Security income, and that previously untaxed Social Security income, guess what? The government's gonna say, you owe us taxes on that. So not only does he have to pay taxes on the gain of the house, he's gotta pay taxes on his Social Security just because he made more money? I mean, you know, just pointing those things out to him, 
I just said, hey, you might want to check into that, him finding out from his accountant that that was true. You can see he might be a little resistant to doing that, right? So the offer that I had for him is I said, look, what if I paid you $90,000 for the house? Well, by the way, I'm back up a second. What are you going to do with the money, John? Well, I'm just going to subsidize my retirement. That's all I really want to do. It was a rental for me before, and I just need that income to subsidize my Social Security, right? So, okay. And here's how I negotiated some price, right? Here's another tip for that, too. Well, John, tell me what you made when it was an active rental for you. Now, I know you had headaches. I know that people didn't pay you, all that stuff. I get that. But how much were you renting it for? Oh, $800. Okay, you're renting it for $800. Now, you own it free and clear, which is great, so you got $800 a month. No, actually, you didn't get $800 a month. How much were your taxes on that? Well, I get... Uh, it's about 1200 a year. Okay, so it's 100 suits, 700. Do you pay insurance on that? Yeah, I do. How about utilities? Do you have to pay utilities sometimes? Yeah, I have to pay utilities. At the end of the day, when it got down to the vacancy collection and all the capital improvement stuff, he realized, he's like, yeah, over the years, I probably made about $400 a month, really, on this property, right? With a lot of headache. Follow me here? So now I'm getting him thinking about what he really was getting before, and he really was getting that before. He was netting 400 with some pay, with some with some headaches. So I started thinking, John, what if we could find a way to get you that or more without the headaches and not have such a big tax hit? And he was interested in that, right? Now, I had this trust with him, and I didn't tell him about these fancy terms I'm talking to you about. I just said, hey, what if we could find a way to do that? And he was like, I, I think that would be great. I'd, I'd love to figure out a way to do that. So how do I, so I ended up working $90,000, no money down, 30-year fixed, 4% interest. But how does this help John with this tax situation, right? Tech tape? Here's why. I utilize a thing called an installment sale. It's right there. Um, publication, uh, IRS publication five, 537. It's right there in the code. An installment sale is, a, is the sale of property we receive at least one payment after the tax year of the sale. That's it. He didn't know about that. Now, I wasn't going to tell him, hey, let's sell via an installment sale because I sound like I'm smarter than him, right? So well, what if we could find a way? So I kind of talked to him about that. He, he talked to his accountant about it. His accountant was kind of like, uh, oh, yeah, that is actually true. So his accountant, his trusted advisor came and told him, that absolutely is true. So he agreed to sell to me for $90,000, no money down, for 30 years at 4% versus taking $100,000 today. He's crazy, right? If I told you that story without giving you his background, you guys would all say, no way anyone would ever do that anywhere, right? Check your mindset. Check your belief, right? Ask. Right? The optometrist, you go to the optometrist and he checks your eyes first. He doesn't take off his glasses and give them to you and say, these help me. Why don't you, you know, these, these help me a lot. These, these might help you, right? That's why they ask those questions and they ask those clarifying questions. Which one's clear, the left or the right? Which one's better now, right? So they dial in our specific, specific prescription. They ask the questions and care enough. Then say, here, there's your prescription, right? So care enough to get, find the seller's prescription. Okay. Well, what's in it for me? You get some bubble gum out of that? You guys might know, but here's a couple other things that I that worked in there. Some good clauses you might want to keep in mind. So what you don't know about that was I talked to John and I said, John, we're doing this for some tax savings because you're on fixed income. We don't want to pay that government their $20,000 right now. What we're doing is you're making 4% interest on the IRS's $20,000 for 30 years. Stick it to the man, right? And he's like, yeah, let's stick it to the man. I said, uh-oh. So I said, John, we've had a great rapport. I've been to your house a few times. I know your wife and I know your situation and I uh, trust you, but I, 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 there, there might come an opportunity where somebody wants to, you, you get tired of receiving payments or heaven forbid you pass away and, and, you, and you decide to sell this note to somebody else. 
Now, I've been paying, I'll be making payments to you all the time. And what happens if somebody, I get a loan or a, a, a letter from somebody someday that says, uh, I bought that note. You were paying John. Please go ahead and pay me. Now, that'd be okay. I'd keep making those payments. I'd have to, but I'm not saying I could do this, but I would love the opportunity, if it ever came up, to be able to buy that note if you're ever planning on selling it. And you might not ever be planning on selling it. But if you ever were, do you think it'd be fair to at least give me an opportunity? What's he going to say to that? It sounds fair, doesn't it? It's absolutely fair. So what I just talked to him about in layman's terms was a first right of refusal that you can write into the contract. That if he ever decides to sell the note at a discount, then he agrees to get that, that notice in writing and give me 30 to 60 days to review it and decide if I want to buy it. Fair enough, right? Okay. Something else you can do. We're talking about the money as a deal, right? You guys ever heard of substitution or collateral provision? No, that's a $5 word. I'd never say that to a seller, right? That sounds like you're a lot smarter than him. And I'm not trying to be smarter than anybody. It, but uh, the substitution collateral. So I said, John, we've worked this out so it can be a benefit for you in your tax situation. What happens, heaven forbid, with this house, I have to sell it for whatever reason, right? I've got to sell this house. And your note's tied to that house. So I want you to be secured and collateralized. I'd be forced to pay you off, which would then trigger what? Taxes. And that could come at an inopportune time. We don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to you. So what if we just wrote something in that just said, if that, that I, can, I owe you this money, that I'll always have you secured, you agree that as long as I secure you with the property that's worth more than I owe you, that you'd be willing to do that. Now, of course, I'd get your approval. Does that sound fair? Just as long as you're protected. Would that be okay? Of course, he agreed to that. Now, I never said substitution collateral. The attorneys wrote all that stuff up. We wrote that in substitution collateral, right? So we got that in there. And then the last thing you can put in there is a note split provision. So we're talking about 100000 here, and you might have a house that's worth $130,000 you can put his loan on. But what if you're in a place like Omaha or Wichita, where your house is worth 30 grand, 40 grand, and nobody wants to finance you on that stuff, right? What if you have a seller that's $200,000? Well, if you, if you got a first right of refusal, a substitution of collateral in there, so you can move it from house to house, and a note split provision, you can take that, that $200,000 and go whoop, 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 whoop. How about 50000 here, 50000 here, 50000 here, 50000 here? Right? Make sense to anybody? Who wants to refinance some of their rentals at 4% interest for 30-year fix under these things? Yeah. You know what, though? Was this a bad deal for John, though? Let's talk to him about it.
Temple to see that pecker line So was he happy? That was a better deal for him, and he's happy about it. And of course, it's a better deal for me now that I told you after the fact what I got there. You guys are all probably drooling saying, give me some more of that. Well, I'm telling you, you've passed over all of that because you weren't willing to ask them questions and just listen to what they want. And I'm telling you, if you care enough to listen, care enough about them to listen and get, expand your tools that we've talked about here today. You can do that and it serves them at a higher level, right? Zig Ziglar said it and Cal Pratt up there. If you help enough other people get what they want, then you get what you want, right? So who did we talk about today? The number one key is belief. So hopefully you guys all believe. You believe that you can do this. And if you don't believe in yourself, just believe enough to know that. I believe that Andy, he believes and it happens for him, so I'll take that. Because it's true. Believe, right? You can do this. You can do this. The number two, two, the number two key is trust. Guys, let me reemphasize. These require a high degree of trust. You cannot build that trust by being fake. You have to truly care when you go in there. If you truly care, you get a twofer. You get to serve them. You get to bless their life. You get to do good that day, regardless if you do a deal and you'll get to do more deals. If you don't have the trust, you'll be kicking on the ground mumbling like seller finance doesn't work and he was lying, right? I promise you it works. But trust, you'll get a twofer if you do. Finance your flip seller financing. We talked about that, how to do that. Longer term seller financing with underlying mortgages. I showed you guys how to do that, right? You guys agree? Showed you how to do that? Lasting longer term seller financing without underlying mortgages, right? And again, I talked to you guys about, this is just like the 10,000 foot view of like, here's what's possible. I hope I've opened your mind to what's possible. But every variation between this, hybrids of these, or whatever your mind can conceive, it can achieve. It can happen, especially in seller financing. So get creative. Care enough to go listen to somebody and, and work it the way that they need it, okay? Okay, here's the deal, guys. Now it's up to you. I feel like I've given you some of these tools, right? For you guys to go out there and be the real estate MacGyvers. So believe that you can. Think outside the box and go out there and try to help people with their solutions. And please... Like MacGyver, ask yourself every day, right? Have I done any good in the world today? Have I helped anyone in need? Have I cheered up the sad or made someone feel glad? Because if not, I have failed indeed. And you can do that and succeed. It can be a win-win. I promise you guys that. So with that, it's up to you guys, right? All right, everybody, let's give it up for Andy McFarlane. And if you're like me, you probably filled up pages and pages of notes and you want to watch this, right? Because there was a lot of visuals. There was the contracts, there was the addendums, there were, uh, he, he talked about all the different documents that you need and flipped through them really fast um, in the audio. So if you're not watching on YouTube, go over to our YouTube channel, our Seven Figure Flipping YouTube channel, and check out this presentation. I'm going to put it up there. We don't really usually put the podcasts up there. However, this one I think needs to. There's a lot of visuals involved. And there's another option that you can do if you want to get the video and a bunch of other videos. 
If you go over to my new podcast, the Flip Hacking Live podcast, these are shorter episodes. They're anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes. And I'm talking about Flip Hacking Live, specific questions that I'm answering, tips and techniques and strategies and things like that. And if you go over there, I just put the beginning of this episode, like this uh, presentation that Andy did on that podcast yesterday. But at the end of it, I made a bonus offer for Flip Hacking Live tickets. So I want you to go over to that podcast. I want you to download it. I want you to subscribe. I want you to um, review it and rate it because that's huge for us. And I want you to take a screenshot and tag me at Bill Allen REI on Facebook, Instagram, take a screenshot of it. And I've got a bonus offer for you for your Flip Hacking Live ticket. So go over to Flip Hacking Live podcast, listen to the end of that episode yesterday and go to fliphackinglive.com and put in that bonus offer that I talked about over there. So um, Andy is amazing. His content is unbelievable. I can't wait to hear him speak at Flip Hacking Live this year. He's uh, my mentor. He's the guy who has you know, been so instrumental in my success. It's amazing and I can't wait to spend time with him and, uh, and see him there in the studio and also presenting to you guys. So go to fliphackinglive.com, get your tickets. Go check out the Flip Hacking Live podcast. Leave us a rating review. You can leave us one here too. I would really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. And uh, hopefully you guys are getting value from this podcast. And, uh, and I appreciate everything that you guys do for us as a community, all the support that you give. And uh, come check out Flip Hacking Live. It's going to be three days, October 15th, 16th, and 17th. Absolutely amazing. It's virtual, so you don't have to miss it. You can get your ticket if you have an internet connection, a computer, a phone, some sort of device that you can watch it on you're there, you're gonna be plugged in for three days. You don't have to arrange a flight, you don't have to pay for a flight, you don't have to pay for a hotel, you don't have to uh, you know, negotiate five days away from your family and figure out how that's gonna happen. You can sleep in your own bed, tuck your kids in at night, spend the time with us, and then unplug, spend time with your family. It's gonna be an amazing event. It's gonna be like no virtual event that you've ever been to before, a full-on 360-degree virtual experience. Go to flippackinglive.com, join us less than two months away. I can't wait, over the next couple weeks, we're going to be announcing the speakers. I'm going to bring on who's going to be speaking. Some of the presenters will be talking about topics. I'll be putting some information out about the event here and on that Flip Hacking Live podcast. So that one I get to share. Sometimes just tell you everything that's going on, let you behind the curtain a little bit, talk about the planning, talk about the event planner, what we're talking about, what we're doing, some of the exciting announcements and things like that. So the prices go up soon. Don't wait. Get them at the early bird price. Right now they're $297. They're getting ready to go up in about a week. So don't wait to get your ticket. And if you want the bonus, go over to the Flip Hacking Live podcast, leave us a rating and review, use the secret password at the end of that podcast and uh, grab some bonuses. I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye. Hey, it's Bill again. And I want to personally invite you to our biggest event of the year, Flip Hacking Live. If you could copy the exact deal sources, marketing strategies, negotiation tactics, and business systems of the most successful house flippers and wholesalers in the nation, how would that change your business? Flip Hacking Live is a three-day event that we do just once per year, and it's happening October 15th through the 17th. We bring in the nation's top wholesalers and house flippers to walk you through everything they're doing, how they're marketing directly to sellers, how they're picking up discounted off-market properties, how they're doubling their close ratio with the right negotiation tactics, how they're raising millions of dollars in private money, the things they're doing that other investors aren't doing, all of it. These are the guys and gals who are actively doing deals at a high volume in today's market all across the country. You get their full attention for three days. They have agreed to hold nothing back and you'll be right there with them so you can ask questions and get clarification on anything that you need. This is your chance to hack the nation's top flippers and wholesalers and ethically steal their exact strategies and systems. All you have to do is take notes, 
ask questions and apply what you learn. But first, you need to get a ticket. We've sold out every year and ticket prices go up every few months. So go to fliphackinglive.com right now and get your tickets today. Fliphackinglive.com, October 15th through the 17th. This is an event that you cannot afford to miss.